Jonah goes to Nivea. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them on did and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The second reading is from Acts two twenty nine to forty one. Can be found on page seven fifty seven of the Pew Bibles and one six nine two of the large print Bibles. That's one six nine two of the large print and seven five seven of the Pew Bibles. You have made known to me the paths of my life. This is too early, sorry. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard of this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see uh, the regulars and the visitors, and you've come all that way just to hear me preach. Oh, I am so honoured. Oh, it precedes me, you know. Yes, a self-made man that ran out of material. Uh, before I uh, preach, I just want to give you a medical update on uh, Steve. Uh, he's going, going well. Um, he's now down to just using one crutch to uh, get around, and so that's good, and they've gone away uh, to a wedding for this weekend. He hopes to come to uh, the service next Sunday and so resume fuller duties after then. So he's uh, gone really well. So I look forward to seeing him run in the city to surf in two or three weeks' time. (laughs) I'll pray. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, we do ask that we might understand it and be able to apply it to our own lives and to take some encouragement from it, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Words are important our life would, could be very different depending on how we answer questions. Will you accept this job? Yes or no? Life goes in one direction if you say yes, in another direction if you say no. Will you marry me? What if you'd have said no? It would be too hard to imagine, wouldn't it? In the book of Jonah, we are rudely reminded again of how powerful words are, especially the word of God. In chapter 1, we were reminded, and the book opens, as you may remember, with the words, and the word of God came to Jonah, and in a prophetic first, He disobeyed God and went the other way and put at risk a number of people, including a group of sailors. And so during the storm that God sent, Jonah sleeps. He is awakened by the captain and the crew interrogate Jonah. Who is your your God? Where do you come from? And... Jonah, not wanting to tell the Ninevites about God, actually inadvertently has to tell the sailors. And they hear the word of God and they repent. They come to believe in the God of the Hebrews, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we hear in chapter 2, that Jonah faces a terrible situation and he speaks 
He uses words and he talks to God. Although he has been disobedient, although he might not feel that God would listen to him, he still speaks to God and God hears him and delivers him from a watery grave. And then we read the very words at the at chapter th- that begin chapter 3, which were the words that began chapter 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it adds a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Well, we live in a city of some four four and a half million people that stretches virtually from Wollongong to Newcastle and west to the mountains. So we might find it difficult to relate to the biblical comment that Nineveh was a great city. But it was inhabited with between 100 and 150,000 people, about twice the size of Wagga. It was approximately 100 kilometres in circumference and it had 18 channels which brought water from the hills some 40 kilometres away. The city was walled all the way round and the wall was the width of a four-lane highway so that the chariots could go along it. So it was a massive city. And I think we are given this picture of it because actually what we're going to see is a contrast between this huge city and this one man that comes to it. I think the book of Jonah gives us enormous contrasts. And one of the contrasts is... This is a huge city and what does God send to it? A massive army? All in their armour? With their chariots? So that it can be subdued? No. He sends one man. And this one man goes to the city. And what does he do? Does he carry an atomic bomb? No. He preaches. And I'm sure that you have heard some sermons that you wished were as short as Jonah. Because Jonah preaches and it's eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, my guess is that the sermon actually was much longer than that because Jonah would have had to describe to the Ninevites what God was like. Could you imagine meeting a group of people who know nothing whatsoever about God and saying to them, you know, 40 more days and East Linfield will be overthrown. I think, what? Put him in a padded cell. So he must have told them more than that. 
but he brings to them a typical message that a prophet would bring from the Old Testament. It was a message of judgment. Now, some may well say, well, the Old Testament is all about judgment and the New Testament is all about love. I don't think that's true at all. The Old Testament is also about love and the New Testament also has judgment in it. Consider these two passages. When Jesus concludes the story of the talents, he says at the end, and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he concludes the story about the sheep and the goats by saying, those who do not know Jesus in this life will go away to eternal punishment. And John 3.16 reminds us that if we believe in him, we shall not perish but have eternal life. So, the Bible is consistent. Love and judgment go hand in hand. And Jonah comes and in verse 5 he preaches to them. The Ninevites, and we are told that the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now there is a, some debate about what the Ninevites actually believed. Did they believe in God so that they would be eternally saved? Or did they believe that if they just stopped doing evil things, that God would not bring judgment upon them? I'm inclined to both, actually. I'm not even going to take an Anglican view and go down the middle road. I'm going to say, yes, they believed that, first of all, if they stopped being evil, and I mentioned in chapter 1 the evil that they used to do, then God would not bring judgment upon them. But I also wonder whether they actually understood that they needed to have a trust in God himself because of the descriptions that then take place. Because they do things that, ha- that show repentance in the Old Testament. In verse 5, a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Well, when you repented of your sins in the Old Testament, you put on sackcloth. And then... The king hears about it and he says this, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. So they actually, I don't know if you, uh, you might sort of have looked, seen films of ancient things um, and there's a funeral and they dress the horses in black as if the horses were mourning as well. But it was a symbol of death. And so here they've got, the king is telling the people, stop doing what you were doing for a while. And and, And let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Again, a reminder to us of repentance but they don't know very much about God and that's often the case when people first hear about God isn't it or people first come to a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus they know a little bit but they don't know very much at all 
they don't really have the great privilege that we have of many years of hearing about the character of God. For it's, the king says in verse 9, Who knows, God may, yet, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They do as they're commanded. They repent and they hope. But you see, we are much more fortunate, aren't we? We don't just have to hope something will happen. We know that if we repent, we are forgiven. For John writes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive our sins. So we know, even if we don't feel forgiven, we know that we are and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 12.1 says to us. We are, Romans 8.1 says to us, we are saved. And so, just as the sailors heard about the judgment of God, so too the, the Ninevites, and they repent they come to understand a little about a God who is rich in mercy. Well, what does this chapter have to do with us? There are two things I want to draw out. The first is that we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ need to be people who speak out against evil. We don't have to sort of stand on a soapbox We might write letters to the newspaper, but just in our own circles, at work, in our neighbourhood, wherever, we have the opportunity to speak out against evil, to be able to say to people, drug dealing is wrong, racism is wrong. That our God, and this was Jonah's problem. You see, the Ninevites were the enemies of the Jews. They weren't friendly. And they often invaded them. And they often held them to ransom. And yet, God sends Jonah. And it is so for the whole world, for God so loved the whole world. You just, one of the eye-openers for me was once to go to a sports ministry conference and there were people there from 92 different countries. It opened my eyes to think, I knew the gospel worked in other countries that it wasn't just Sydney people who were going to go to heaven, but unfortunately people from Newcastle might even get in, (laughs) or people from New Zealand, or South Africa. You know, just think of it for a moment. There are even Irish who will get in. That's stretching it, I know, but that that, that just actually shows how compassionate and kind God is. 
And if I went round the room and asked, what country were you born in or what country were your parents born in, you would actually see how broad God's love and compassion is. And we, as God's people, need to be be reminded about that, that the message of salvation is for all people. And the second point, we speak about evil and we remember it's a message for all people, but the second thing that I just want to draw out is this. It is the power of the word of God that works. It's not our talents. We're responsible to tell people about Jesus if we get the chance or see if we are speaking out against evil, people may well say to us, why do you say these things? What do you believe? And then we get the opportunity to say, well, I'm a Christian and this is what the Bible says and this is why I hold this view. Or we bring it in regards to practical things. A friend of mine told me this story last night. She's an architect. She had to go and deal with a council about a development project. And she said, on the way, I prayed that I would be calm, compassionate, and listen. And she was telling her very young trainee architect this on the way to the meeting. And he turned round and he said to her, love is kind, love is gentle. He quoted the Bible to her. She doesn't even know whether he's a Christian or not. So she went to the meeting and she said, by the grace of God, I was those things. And so as we do that, it has an enormous impact because some people would rant and rave just to get their way. But if we act in a godly way, it makes people think about it. Jonah went to Nineveh, one man, and spoke up. Peter preached after the day of Pentecost and people came to a saving faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. They might have more skill than any of us, but the emphasis in the book of Jonah is on a very disobedient, angry, racist man who is actually forced to tell people about God. The encouraging thing for us is that in spite of him being like that, God takes his word and changes people's hearts. So be encouraged, my friends. You might be one person 
and the only person. But we do have the words of eternal life that given the opportunity, we can share with others and then it's up to God. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can learn from a bad example. Jonah was not the nicest of people and he was disobedient. And of course, Father, we know that sometimes we're like that. Help us when we get the opportunity to actually stand up for what we believe. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.